Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, and joining me on this very special Rumble versus Bader edition of Half the Battle is James Lynch, the host of the Parting Shot podcast, and Go Paulo from Sportsnet. James, welcome back to the show, man. Hey, man. Glad to be here and uh, really happy to be here with my uh, Canadian brother, uh, Paolo. Uh, really happy, man. Yeah, man. It's it's my pleasure to have you on the show. You, you were actually on the inaugural Half the Battle. Now, right. you know, I'm reaching in on uh, 50 episodes, so very happy to have you back. And Paolo, what's up, man? How's it going? Uh, I'm excited to be back, Daniel. I think the last time I was here was the Japan card with Nate Miller. That was a memorable show. Um, our, our, our episode was probably more entertaining than most of the fights in there. And, of course, I'm happy to be with James, man. Come on, Roger Sportsnet taking, up, taking over half yeah, the man. battle. Yeah, man. And the last time you were on half the battle, I believe it's when Uriah Hall spin-kicked Gegard Mousasi. So that was <laughs> a very memorable event indeed. And, man, we got to talk about Bader versus Rumble because, obviously, the talk with this fight is can Bader survive the first five minutes? And, I mean, that's pretty much what the debate's going to come down to. Now, it's going to be interesting if he can flip the script kind of like Frankie Edgar did against Chad Mendes and knock him out in the first round. I know it sounds funny hearing that those words come out of my mouth, and that's a very you know low likelihood outcome. But, man, if that shit happens, that would be intense and insane. But we got to start at the bottom of the card, and we got Matt Dwyer, who's a plus-140 underdog, and he's taking on the newcomer, Randy Brown, who's minus-160. Now, obviously, we all know Randy Brown. He was on Dana White's looking for a fight. And, man, Dana White's really damn good at scouting this talent. But when I'm making a pick on a fight, I like to at least watch fights of the guys I'm scouting. And, you know, I couldn't find anything on Randy Brown because they removed all of his videos from YouTube. And the way you can watch his fights is on this ROC site, and you got to pay for it. Now, I got zero objections to paying for it, but as you know, you know, Anthony Pettis lost a split decision last week, so, you know, I can't afford it this week. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, maybe maybe after he makes his UFC debut, I'll check it out, but I do trust that Dana scouted some good talent, and if uh, this kid shows up, he could knock out Matt Dwyer. Now, James, I know you've spoken to these guys before. What do you think is going to go down in this first fight of UFC on Fox 18? Well, it's going to be an excellent fight. Uh, right off the bat, we got to mention that. Two guys who obviously like using their hands. Um, you know, Randy Brown, uh, you know, we saw him on the show. I don't think a lot of people uh, might uh, know that, uh, you know, he's trained a lot in the New York area, uh, you know, at uh, uh, Bedokin uh, Martial Arts Academy, as well as uh, Henzo Gracie. So, you know, he's trained with guys like Rafael Natal, Ricardo Almeida. And he's also spent some time at Bellamore Kickboxing Academy and why that's uh, sort of meaningful here. Uh, Andre Harrison's there, the Titan FC featherweight champion, another really good fighter there. So, obviously, quality of training part Partners is not an issue for Randy Brown. We know his knockout power. Um, you know he's done quite well in his career. Obviously he's six and zero. You know the, the big thing with Dwyer, everyone is talking about is, is you know his lack of striking defense. You know he gets tagged a lot in his fights. Um, but the one thing I looked at here with Randy Brown is you know a lot of the guys he's fought. You know not incredible records. I mean we're talking subpar 500 records. Uh, nothing really outstanding. So anytime a new guy comes in and he has an undefeated record, I'm always a little skeptical because you know the guys are usually trying to get into the UFC. I speak to regional fighters all the time. I know managers that like to pad their records. I'm not saying that's the case here, but it's something to be uh, you know conscious of at the very least. And uh, Matt Dwyer, what can you say? He's one and two in the UFC. Um, you know, had that really brutal debut against Albert Tumanov. I feel like that is is why uh, he is an underdog in this fight. You know, I think a lot of people still have that fight fresh in their minds. Uh, you know, Dwyer did not look good in that fight. Uh, but, you know, he bounced back after that, got the win over um, Cario, and then he's uh, coming off the performance of the night or fight of the night, I should say, against um, Alan Jabwin. And you know, that was a back and forth fight. So, you know. As far as looking at this fight and, and making a pick, for me, I got to go with Matt Dwyer, and, and simply just because of experience, you know, I think that uh, Dwyer's at a very good camp right now at Toshido. You know, he's training with another guy in Shane Campbell, who's also got a fight coming up fairly soon against James Krause. Um, you know, when it comes down to a fight like this, yeah, both guys have knockout power. Both guys are really good. Like I said, Dwyer's got the experience. He's got a bit of a height and reach advantage. I'm taking Matt Dwyer in this fight, and I, I like him at the underdog price. Hard-hitting analysis by James Lynch. And, you know, just on the point you were making, the guys that Matt Dwyer lost to are some fucking beasts. So, I mean, there's no shame in losing to Albert Tumenov and Alan Juban. Now, Paul, I got to know, man, is Randy Brown going to close that distance and knock out Matt Dwyer, or is Matt Dwyer going to show off that experience? Um, it's really tough to say. Like like you said, I mean, I've seen a little bit from Randy Brown, and from what I can tell, the guy likes to use his hands. He's really fast. He's a great athlete, and he's fought guys who are huge guys. I mean, none of them are like, you know, 
uh, Matt Dwyer's level, but his debut fight he was against a guy who was 6'5", I believe. So that was the first question I actually, I actually asked him on the MMA side dish is that, yeah, you know, you're already a big dude, but you're going up against a bigger guy. Have you have you experienced fighting these guys? And he's like, yeah, like my first fight was against a guy who was like 6'5", and was much bigger than me. So I think he's going to be able to close the distance and and tag Dwyer a couple of times. If it's one thing about Dwyer that I know is that he gets hit a lot, man. I mean, you know, getting knocked out by Tumanov, it's one thing, but like with Joe Ban basically like just lights you up. I mean, that's another thing. So I think Randy Brown, I think Randy Brown's a better fighter than even Joe Ban. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement right now because we haven't really seen a lot of his fights, but I think he's gonna get the job done here. Now, now with that said, minus 200 price on someone you basically have no idea of other than a few of his highlights and Dana White's words. Uh, Dana White's words, that's crazy. So no bet for me, but Randy Brown. On a side note, all three of us pronounce Alan Juban's last name differently, just so you guys know. <laughs> but, uh, accent, I'm sure. <laughs> well, next up, man, you know, one of the guys that you recently interviewed, James, Tony Martin, he's a minus 175 favorite, and he's taking on the newcomer, Felipe Olivieri. And Olivieri, he's a Nova Onial guy, so you, you know what to expect. Big leg kicks, big body shots, a good ground game, good takedown defense. Now, here's the thing with Tony Martin. In the first round, Tony Martin is a world beater. He's one of the scariest guys you'll ever see in the first round. But if you can get past the first round, you know, something starts to change up here. You know, I spoke to Benny Darius about it, and Benny, you know, he, he knows firsthand because he submitted Tony Martin in the second round. He said that Tony starts to believe that it's not working, and that, that's what goes wrong for him. And so we're going to have to see. The first round in this fight is going to be super key. Now, we all know Tony Martin's jiu-jitsu game is stellar, man. I mean, what he did to Fabricio Camoyes, who is a very high-level black belt, what he almost did to Rashid Magomedov. I mean, Tony Martin's got some jiu-jitsu, but we know... Novo and Yao guys are going to come prepared on the ground as well. So, man, if this one gets past the first round, we could see an upset here. Now, James, you got the insider info. Who's taking this fight? Well, it's a very tough fight to call. Uh, you know, I couldn't find a lot of uh, film on Oliveri. Uh, you know, just looking at his record, you know, he has looked pretty good as far as, uh, you know, some of his finishes and things like that. Um, there's a couple things, though. You mentioned the Nova Uniao camp, obviously a very prestigious camp, so, you know, got to come from a good class of guys from there. Um, Oliveri's never been submitted, and, you know, Tony Martin likes to get a lot of his wins by submission, so that's one thing to keep in mind. But here's the other thing, guys. Uh, Oliveri hasn't fought since 2014. Uh, is the ring rust going to be a bit of a, a thing for him in this fight? It could potentially be. Um, you know, and, and Martin, you know, he hasn't looked great in his recent fights. Uh, he's fought back-to-back -back fights in Brazil. I know, speaking to him, he's very happy to be fighting on U.S. soil again. And uh, the other thing to point out is, uh, of, of his three losses in the UFC, those fighters had a combined record of 47-6. and six. So it's not like he's fighting a bunch of scrubs. He's fighting really, really tough guys. Um, incidentally, for this camp, uh, he's going back to his roots a little bit. He, he uh, spent some time training with Brock Larson. Of course, Martin is originally from Minnesota, so it was nice for him to you know, get some training in with a, a good training partner of his. And he's also spent time at Sit Yong Tong uh, with all those guys who, you know, some of them fought on the CES card, and obviously a lot of them fought on that uh, UFC Fight Night 81 card in Boston. So he seems well prepared. I'm taking Tony Martin in this fight. Again, I think uh, just the fact that he's been a lot more active, uh, training with a pretty good camp, and, and just the fact that I, I think uh, fighting on American soil is only going to pump him up. So I'm going to take Martin by decision. I don't think he gets a finish, but I do think he gets a job done. Yeah, man, I can totally see it happening. Now, as far as Oliveira is concerned, he did have one fight in 2015, but since that mm -hmm. point, he didn't fight. You know, he fought a couple times in 2013, took all of 2014 off, and only fought one time in 2015. So you're totally right. He probably will have some ring rust. Now, I know a lot of people have talked about how Novo now hasn't, you know, been doing that great lately, but let, let's look at the numbers real quick. So Jose Aldo lost to Conor McGregor. I mean, there's no uh, shame in that. And um, let's see. What's his name? The guy that I got. Oh, yeah, Barrow, of course. But I got robbed really badly on one of these. Um, Michelle Prezera's beat Valmir <laughs> Lazaro. Oh, my God. That was the worst robbery of uh, 2015. And then, you know, Leo Santos knocked out Kevin Lee in the first round. So I don't really think that Nova Onyao is doing as bad as people think they're doing. I just think that now that they don't have two reigning champions, you know, that that's probably why people are talking down on them. Now, Paula, I got to know. Is uh, Tony Martin going to get it done here, or is Felipe Oliveri going to be successful in his UFC debut? Well, James pretty much touched on a lot of the topics, and I couldn't find a lot of a lot on Oliver either. Um, you know, the funny thing about him is that he he, he I mean he's pretty good at the jujitsu, but like he's good from the the dominant top position. And I mean, is he gonna be able to get that on Tony Martin? In my opinion, Martin is like this guy was like 
arguably winning of the fight against Leo Santos in the first on a short notice. And as we know, Leo Santos just completely outclassed Kevin Lee, who we're like so high on. I mean, Kevin Lee's a potential top 15, top 10 guy, and Leo Santos just rolled through him. And Tony Martin was giving him a tough time in the first as a short notice replacement. Now, I mean... I mean, Oliveira trains with uh, Leo Santos, so maybe Leo Santos, like, you know, having fought Tony Martin before, is going to, like, you know, help him train, give him, like, you know, details on how to beat this guy and stuff. So maybe that's key for him. But like you said, he hasn't fought in over a year or so, and he's making his UFC debut. And, you know, we don't have, like, a lot of statistics on it, but usually fighters who come who make their UFC debut don't necessarily do as well unless they're, like, these, this crazy, highly touted prospect and they're given this super favorable match, like, I mean, Sage Northcutt. Uh, but... No, I think Tony Martin gets the job done here, but that said, Tony Martin, like, he has a habit of winning fights early, then for some reason he'll just slip and, 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 and lose. So if Tony Martin is winning the first two rounds and then gets caught, because this guy does have some power, even though he's only knocked out, like, you know, like I said, Kant and much smaller guys than he is, that's still something to consider. But I think Tony Martin gets the job done here, maybe by decision or late stoppage. I mean, Paulo, not only did he give Leo Santos a tough time in the first round, he gave Benny Dariush a tough time in the first round. He yeah. gave um, Rashid Magomedov. Yeah, he almost submitted him. He almost broke his arm. Yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. But, like Benny said, if you know, if he gets past that first round, he starts to think it's not working for some reason, and he can't do that here, man. He has to believe in himself, and he has to go for it. So we'll see what happens. I hope he can bounce back. But if not, man, we might see a... Uh, an emerging newcomer. So we'll see what happens in this fight. Now, next up, this is going to be good. We got Levan Mahishvili. He's minus 310. And the comeback on Damon Leach Jackson is plus 255. Now, I really like Levan Mahishvili. I mean, I like his style. He's one of these guys that he fights like a Russian. He likes to, <laughs> he likes to circle a little bit, you know, and not throw anything while he's circling. And then he'll just charge you with big bombs. And if you decide to grapple with him, you're not taking this guy down. I know Hakaran took him down once or twice, but he also took Hakaran down a couple times. And I actually thought he beat Hakaran Diaz. But, you know, controversial split decisions are a big part of this sport. So you can never complain when you're on the wrong end of them, even though I just complained about that Lazaro decision. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when you talk about Makishvili, you know, it, it's kind of like uh, – like Michael Bisping, you, you, one doesn't simply say Michael Bisping. You gotta you gotta put some emphasis in it. You gotta be like, Michael, Michael. So with Makishvili, you gotta go Levan Makishvili. You gotta put some emphasis into that. And when you talk about the Makishvili, you uh, handle that Makishvili with tender love and care. And when you talk about Damon Jackson, I mean, obviously he was the legacy champion. He submitted Leonard Garcia in under two minutes, and that's why he got the hype that he had when he came into the UFC. But as we all know. You know, Leonard Garcia was at the end of his career, and the reason that Damon got so hyped beating a guy like Leonard Garcia was due to the fact that Leonard was going to decisions with tough guys in the UFC. So when he got submitted in under two minutes, people were like, oh, who the hell is this guy, Damon Jackson? But once we saw him at the highest level in the UFC, it didn't really go his way. So as long as Levon shows up, I think he's got this. What do you think, James? Yeah, I like Levon in this one as well. I don't have too many notes in this fight. For me, it's kind of clear-cut. I think uh, Makishvili takes this. Uh, you know, Makishvili's only ever lost by decision. So that, to me, says, you know, very, very, very tough guy. Obviously, uh, very tough to finish. Um, he's got three knockouts. He's got four decisions. He's a guy who's not afraid to go the distance if he wants to turn this into a war. Um, he's comfortable anywhere the fight goes, which poses a lot of problems for, for Jackson. Although, with that said, Jackson's only got the one loss by submission. He's never gone the distance in his career. So that's why this is kind of an interesting style matchup. I feel like Makishvili... He wants to go all three rounds. He can, and that's kind of unfamiliar territory for Jackson. But uh, give me Makishvili all day. I, I think he takes this one and uh, you know kind of propels himself up the division because he's a guy that uh, you know I think is uh, someone uh, we could really be talking about in the next couple of years. I 100% agree. I do think that he's someone we got to look out for. Now, Paulo, we gonna complete the hat trick here, like you uh, hockey fans like to say. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to have to complete the hat trick, although, you know, I had Damon Jackson over at the MMA side dish the other week, and you know what, I don't know about you guys, but every time I interview a fighter, it becomes harder for me to sort of pick against them, even though it's so clear-cut, just because, you know, I don't know, I, I guess, like, you know, they become endear more endearing to me, but, man, I just don't see how Damon Jackson is going to finish this fight, and that, in my opinion, is how he's going to win this, his uh, only shot to win this. Maybe he, he submits him or something, but, man, his submissions is, like, over guys who are not high-level grapplers like Makashvili. I mean, Leonard Garcia, I mean, Leonard Garcia is a brawler, man. Everyone knows what Leonard Garcia does. And, I mean, one thing to submit him, the other thing to submit a guy like Makashvili, like, I mean, like James said, I think this is pretty, uh, pretty clear-cut. I think Makashvili is going to steamroll through Damon Jackson, maybe doesn't finish him because, 
yeah, Macintosh is not really that type to like I don't know go crazy and attempt all these crazy submissions like what Yancy Medeiros or Hani Jason did to Damon Jackson. But I think he pre- gets a job done here. Let's go 28, 29, 28. So Paul, you said you interviewed Damon Jackson on the MMA side dish, correct? Yeah. So what do you say about this fight, man? Well, what, what what he said was that he has more ways of winning the fight. Like, he can finish it standing, and he, he can submit him, and Levan Makashvili is pretty much, you know, a decision guy. But, I mean, I didn't want to, like, say, but you've never really knocked anyone out. I mean, how are you going <laughs> to knock this uh, Levan Makashvili out, right? I mean, no offense to Damon, but, like, I mean, you know, one does not simply knock out uh, these tough <laughs> Eastern European grapplers. You know what I mean? Like, you, you just don't knock them out, man. I mean, like, come on. <laughs> Man, you should have asked Damon that. I mean, we, we can find a nice way to, to put the truth out there, right? Now, next up, we got Masio Fullen. He's a plus 245 underdog. He's got a 10-5 and 5 record, and he's taking on Bruce Leroy. Man, and what's the line on Bruce Leroy right now? He is minus 290, and, I mean, his record is 10-8, and 8, and, you know, he's on a three-fight losing streak, so he's moving back up to featherweight, which I think is a good idea because the dude is way too big for bantamweight, and... Man, I think that even though Bruce Leroy is 27 years old, I think the street fights are catching up to him. I think all those pro MMA fights are catching up to him. I think he might be on a little bit of a decline. We all know fight years and real years are two completely different things. Now, as far as Masio Fulham is concerned, it's not like he's some world beater, but he is training with the champ, Dominic Cruz. And we all know someone has a brain for the sport. It's Dominic Cruz. So if you're training under a guy like that, you've got to be getting better. But, I mean, at the same token, Alex is training at the lab. We all know most of those guys are really good, too. So it's going to be interesting. I'm going to just pull for Masio Fulham here. You know, this could be the biggest win of his career. And he's a plus 245 underdog against a guy on a 3-5 losing streak. So I'm going to go with the dog here. What do you think, James? Well, I definitely agree the line is off on this one, but I like Alex Caceres in this fight. You mentioned those uh, three fight or the three fight losing streak. I mean, that's Uriah Faber, Cisco Rivera, and, and Kanahar. Kanahar is probably one he would have liked back, but the other two, no slouch losing to those guys. And you mentioned him moving up to featherweight. I don't think that's really been reported a ton because, uh, you know, to me, I think that's pretty significant in this fight. This is his first fight at featherweight since 2011. You mentioned how big he is. He's 5'10". You're not going to find too many bantamweights that are 5'10", so for him to move back up, I think that's a very smart choice on his part. He's also going to have a 3-inch uh, reach advantage in this fight, which uh, we all know he likes to use his uh, arms pretty well in, this, in, in his fight, so I think that'll be an advantage for him there. The thing that I kind of look at in this fight is, yes, uh, you know, Fullen definitely trains at an awesome camp in Alliance MMA. Um, you know, both guys have five wins by submission, but the thing I look at here is the experience factor. I think Caceres has fought tougher guys. I think he's been in there. I think he knows what to expect. He might very well be defeated or be kind of defeated already going in there, having lost three straight. But at the same time, I think he knows he's, he's got a win here. He's moving up a weight class. The pressure's on. I think he's going to come through, and I think he's going to get it done. Uh, and again, I just think it's because of the fact he's fought tougher guys. So I'm going to go with Alex Caceres in this matchup. What do you think, Paula? Yeah, I have to agree. Um... I actually really like that Caceres is moving up to 145 because I thought the whole moving down 135, he's already a skinny guy as it is. As it is, And, man, he's just been getting starch at 135. He's never had a good chin, and cutting all that water weight made his chin even worse. Now, the thing about Masio Fullen is this guy's, uh, I believe, primarily a boxer, or at least that's how he was being billed at. And one thing we know about Caceres, like I mentioned, he's, his chin is so suspect. Like, all those um, fight years that's on him, man. Like, like you know... My, what was his line again? Minus 290? That's crazy, man. That's crazy to be laying that juice on Caceres. But I think his ace in his hole is his grappling. I mean, like, he usually likes to stand up, stand and trade, which is usually a bad idea because he doesn't usually always utilize his reach to his advantage. And I mean, Cisco was like, what? Cisco was like a leg shorter than he was, and he tagged him really quickly. So, um, but yeah, no, I think uh, his jiu-jitsu is something he could definitely u- utilize against Masio Fullen here because I think Fullen's still pretty... Um, it's called pretty green in that aspect. So hopefully he fights smart and goes and goes for that because this is a very winnable fight for him. But man, if if he gets knocked out, man, might have to call it quits as as uh, as much as I hate saying that. Yeah, someone's gonna get a much needed victory, that's for sure. Now next up, we got a flyweight matchup between Dustin Ortiz, the minus two twenty favorite. He's taking on the vet Wilson Hayes, who is a plus one eighty underdog. And man, Dustin Ortiz, if you saw his last fight against Willie Gates. He came out of there vicious, man, and he just uh, he put it on Willie Gates. I was in attendance with uh, the MMA analysis crew and Kyle Marley, all those guys, good friends, West, true UK fan, and 
And we had a really good time at the fights, and one thing that stood out was Dustin Ortiz. I've seen this guy fight live twice. I saw him fight John Moraga in ATL. I actually thought he won that fight. I was actually sitting next to Dustin Ortiz's father during that fight, so I felt really bad when the split decision went the other way. We were all like, are you kidding me right now? And then, obviously, like I just mentioned, in Nashville, I saw him take on Willie Gates. Now, when you talk about Wilson Hayes, I mean, this guy is a vet, and, I mean, he's a very good black belt. Obviously, that fight with uh, Formiga. We also know Formiga is a great black belt, too. Formiga couldn't tap out Wilson Hayes. But the problem with Wilson Hayes has always been right here, that chin. You know, you can knock this guy out, no problem. But Dustin Ortiz isn't known for that knockout power. He's known for that grind. So it could get interesting. If he takes down Wilson Hayes, maybe Wilson Hayes can sweep him. Maybe Wilson Hayes can take his back. But I do think the youth and just... This point in time is going to favor Dustin Ortiz. I think he's going to go out there and get this victory, but I'm not really willing to uh, lay the juice. I know a lot of people are saying the line's actually lower than it should be. People think it should be minus 300. Not that I necessarily disagree. I'm just kind of like, you know, one guy's a wrestler and one guy's a jiu-jitsu artist. It's not like we're dealing with a knockout artist with great takedown defense. We're dealing with wrestler versus jiu-jitsu. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. What do you think, James? Yeah, I'm actually one of those people who thinks that the line's a little bit uh, too low. I, I feel like Ortiz uh, should should take this with no problems. I mean, we're looking at the two losses he had in the UFC. You mentioned the loss to Moraga. The other one was to Joseph Benavides, who probably is the you know one of the best guys in that division. Um, he's got six knockouts, four submissions. He's 27 years old. The thing I like about him in this fight is you know he hasn't taken too much damage in his career. He's still kind of up and coming. Trains at a great camp in Rufus Sport. Hayes, you know, he's a guy who's been there forever. I mean, I remember when he was fighting in Elite XC, and uh, he was there, I believe, featherweight champion at the time. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who's been around forever. He might only be 31 years old, but his fight years are definitely further ahead. Now, you know, granted, with all that said, I mean, his losses are to two pretty tough guys in Alcantara and Formiga, but uh, I'm going with Dustin Ortiz in this one. Either, you know, he gets the finish or, or he wins by decision here. I feel pretty comfortable about this. I think Ortiz is the real deal. And like I said, only lost to really tough guys in that division. I'm going with Dustin Ortiz. Yeah, I mean, not only has he lost to really top guys, he's beat really tough guys. I mean, he beat Ray Borg. He beat Justin Scoggins. This kid is no joke. What do you think, Paula? Yeah, um, to make a comment about that line on uh, Dustin Ortiz, I think the reason why it's low, I actually think it's pretty low, too. Um, but the thing about Dustin Ortiz is he's going to go to a decision. And we know as, as these decisions go, like, nothing is you're never really 100% on a decision, even if we're, we're like, oh, yeah, he won that for sure, 30-27, then the judges go the other way, and you're like, what the hell just happened? And the thing is, like you said, this is a grappler versus a wrestler. So, I mean, what's going to what's gonna happen here? Are they going to try to cancel each other out, and are they just going to be like standing there and striking at each other? Which, which, if that happens, I definitely favor Ortiz just because... Um, like you said, Hayes doesn't have the best chin. I mean, I mean, I think he fought in Bellator and he got starched by Patricio uh, by Pitbull. Oh, that was a brutal fight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And ever since then, his chin's never been the same. Um, I mean, that was at featherweight, but, but you know, um, so no, I think it's gonna be one of those token Dustin or, uh, uh, Ortiz fights where it's gonna be, you know, where they're gonna be grappling. They're gonna maybe Ortiz pushes him up against the the cage. Um, and the thing about Ortiz is, even though he's a good wrestler, he doesn't have like explosive takedowns like Hayes does. I mean, Hayes is the grappler, but, I mean, this guy has, like, that, that explosive double leg. I mean, he, he, he can slam his opponents. Now, Ortiz doesn't have a lot of those, but, I mean, this is likely going to go to a decision, and I'm going to have to favor Ortiz just because I think he's, he's just a better, more well-rounded guy overall. And I think he's... If you think who's going to break first, I think Hayes is going to break first over Ortiz because, like you said, Ortiz only loses to, like, the really top guys in the division, and I don't think Hayes is a top-five guy. Yeah, well, I agree. I mean, as long as Dustin Ortiz is focused and he shows up on fight night, I don't see a reason why he'd lose this fight. Now, next up, man, we got Brazil versus Canada because we got Carlos Diego Ferreira. He's a plus 245 underdog, and he's taking on Olivier Aubin Mercier, who's a minus 290 favorite. And, man, if you can see my nice Carlos Diego Ferreira shirt right here, <laughs> you know, you might assume that I'm picking him in this fight. And, you know, we like to say that, what is it, assumptions make an ass out of me and you or whatever, but you would have, assu you would have assumed correctly here because I am picking Carlos Diego Ferreira here. Now, it's not the fact that I'm wearing a shirt. It's not the fact that he came on half the battle this weekend. You know, I think I was probably the only guy that's giving this guy any credit whatsoever. I mean, did you hear anyone else interviewing Carlos Diego Ferreira? And that's not a shot at, at you guys at all. That's just... I'm just speaking facts here. I mean, no one's fucking talking about this guy, but I talked about this guy. I think that he's the real deal, and I think that 
Well, I don't think I know. He's only lost to Dustin and Benny. Those are two top ten guys. I mean, you know, Olivier Aubin Mercier is a big step down from Dustin and Benny. But stylistically speaking, it's a very int intriguing matchup because we know Olivier Aubin Mercier likes to take guys down to the ground. And if there's one thing you don't do against Diego Ferreira, it's take him down to the ground. But at the same token, Olivier's got a very strong kick, and if he can keep that distance, throw one of those big body kicks, big head kicks, who knows what could happen. But I do think Carlos Diego Ferreira, he's going to find a way to knock out or submit Olivier Aubin Merce. So I'm most likely taking a shot on that plus 245 dog. You know, at most, I just think that line's off. You know, I think it could be a lot closer than that. But I got to hear your guys' perspective on this fight. So, James, are you going with the very hyped Canadian here, or are you going to go on the opposite side and take the Brazilian? Canadian bias aside, I am going to take Olivier in this fight. But I totally agree with you. The line should be a lot closer. Um, you know, a lot of people, and I was, I'll be included in that bunch, was not that impressed with Olivier's win over Tony Sims. And, you know, the thing with Olivier is he is still very raw in the game. I mean, he's only got eight fights. He's still learning the, the, you know, the tricks of the trade, so to speak, but he's at a great camp in TriStar, so you never really know what type of fighter you're going to get every time he's out. But uh, you know, you look, look at his record here, um, 26 years old, uh, you know, six wins by submission. He's a guy who does not like going the, the distance uh, generally in his career, but with that said, uh, you know, Ferreira's never been submitted, so he's not going to get that submission in this fight, definitely not. Uh, Ferreira's you know, 31 years old. He's got six wins by submission. He's got a four-inch reach advantage in this fight, so that could be a little bit interesting in this matchup. And, uh, you know, Styles make fights. Uh, a lot of people, I believe, who think that, uh, you know, Ferreira is going to win this fight is probably by knockout because, you know, you've seen Olivier get tagged a few times. Um, he's only got one knockout victory in his career, so I don't really put too much stock into that theory. Um, and you mentioned the losses there exactly. I mean, you can't you can't put any stock in the losses to, that Ferreira's endured. I mean, Poirier and Darius, two of the top guys in the division, I'm going to say Olivier pulls out a decision here, but I would not be surprised if it went the other way either. No bet for me in this fight. I'm going to just enjoy this one as a fan, but I see this as a very, very, very close matchup against two pretty dangerous guys in the division. Yeah, for sure, man. And when I think about, you know, why I'm fading Olivier Aubin Mercier, you know, it's a mix of the level of competition, but it's also a mix of what's happened in those fights. You know, for example, Jake Lindsay getting that inside trip on Aubin Mercier, David Machad dropping Aubin Mercy, Laprise beating him, and Tony Sims doing his thing in that third round. So with all those things added up, I think that Diego Ferreira can actually finish him. What do you think, Paulo? No, I, I'm with you on Ferreira. I know, I know I'm the Canadian here, and I'm supposed to pick Aubin Mercy, but I've been going back and forth here. Um, I think what could happen is we see them stand and trade, man. I mean, I hope that's what Aubin Mercy does, because I think he's... He's the better striker. Now, with that said, they're still both pretty green in the striking department, but I'm going to give the slight edge to Aubin Mercier there because he, he looks like he's going to be the more active striker. I mean, Fajera, I mean, he knocked out Ramsey Nijum, and that's because Ramsey Nijum knocked himself out because he was just running at, <laughs> at, at Fajera the whole time, man. Like, come on, seriously. I mean, like, I come in, Ramsey Nijum, no offense to the guy, but, I mean, no, but uh, power-wise, I'm going to give the edge to Fajera here because I think he does have heavy hands even though he's... Um, He's not a very active striker, so I can entirely see a scenario where he um, catches Aubin Mercier, he drops him, and he has some pretty nasty chokes, like the one we saw on uh, Colton Smith, take that neck, and it's over, and he, he just uh, submits him unconscious. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think Aubin Mercier might likely pull this off. But I will... Uh, I'll side with Fajera here, man. It's tough. It's dog or pass for me, but picks-wise, uh, man... Uh, yeah, I guess we'll go with Fajera here. Now, both of you guys brought up some great points. Now, Paul, you mentioned how, you know, knocking out Ramsey Ninja, no, it's no big deal. It's like knocking out Mark Munoz, right? But can you agree <laughs> Can you agree with me on this, that Ramsey Ninja is better than every single guy Olivier Albin-Mercier has beat? Oh, yeah. I mean, Jake Lindsay, Jake Lindsay was like, I'm surprised that guy got three fights in the UFC. No offense to Jake the Liberian Lindsay, but he was... To typically what you call a jobber. He was the, the what do you call that guy from the WWE, the Brooklyn, um, what's, what you, um, yeah, man, I'm missing it. I, I know exactly what you're trying to say here, and yeah. I agree with you. No, he was only in the UFC for three fights because they wanted to job him to, like, J uh, Joe Duffy. I forgot the other guy. Oh, John Tuck. He tapped the heel strikes, man. I mean, I mean seriously. I mean, Brian Stan didn't know what the heck was going on when that happened. So... No, seriously, no. Ramsey Nijim's better than Jake Lindsay and um, who's the other guy he beat? Uh, Mishad. Yeah, man. And next up, we got the return of two guys that have been out for a minute. Jake Ellenberger. He's the plus 205 underdog. And Tarek Safadine is the favorite at minus 245. Now, 
man, we got a lot to talk about with this one. So you, you guys may have heard the term, yes, Jake, that I came up with when speaking of Jake Ellenberger. And it's funny because if you go back and you watch the countdown when Jake was fighting Robbie Lawler, so Edmund's uh, training Jake, and, you know, they're hitting pads, and, and Edmund's like, relax, Jake, you're thinking too much. And then Jake puts his head down, he starts doing it right, and, the, and then Edmund's like, yes, Jake, yes, Jake. So now whenever Jake fights, you know, you know how Jake is super uh, gun-shy, right? He doesn't throw at all. So whenever he actually attempts to throw a strike, me and my friends are all like, yes, Jake, yes, Jake. And it's funny as hell, man. Now with Tarek, I mean, I think he's better. He's just been out for so damn long. He's coming off a brutal knockout loss to your Canadian boy, Rory. So who knows how he's going to deal with that. But it's funny, I was talk talking to Matt Brown yesterday on Half the Battle. We talked about Jake a little bit, and I brought up that, you know, Johnny Hendricks is probably mentally stronger than uh, Jake. We, we, brought, we, we talked about that because we were talking about Wonder Boy. But Matt actually brought up a good point. He was like, I'm not sure that Jake's mentally weak or if he's just not that good. I was like, wow, I actually never thought about that, Matt. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a very interesting point he brought to the table there. Maybe Jake's just not that good, man. Maybe he didn't evolve, you know, because when he made his UFC debut against Condit, dude, that first round he drops him three, four times. But then after that, he kind of gets grinded out by by Condit, and we all know Ellenberger's supposed to be the wrestler. So maybe he's just not as good as we thought, or maybe those mental issues are really there. Either way, I think Tarek's gonna jab and leg kick to a 30-27. What do you think, James? That's exactly how I see it, and uh, you know I'm not trying to be lame here and agree with everyone, but that's uh, that's pretty much how I see this. And uh, you know the interesting thing that we got to mention here is that Tarek Safadine is training at TriStar, so the guy who knocked him out is actually one of his sparring partners now in Rory McDonald. Um, so you know the loss to McDonald was obviously pretty brutal. I mean Tarek was on a five-fight win streak at that point. Um, you know obviously uh, coming off a loss and coming off a big layoff is always a bit concerning for any fighter. But we're talking about Jake Ellenberger here. He's one in four in his last five fights. Now granted those losses. You know, were guys like Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, Rory McDonald, Robbie Lawler, and Calvin Gaslam. But I just look at the fact that Ellenberger's had 40 fights in his career. Tarek's only had 19. Ellenberger's taken a lot of damage in those fights. And I know he is not training with Edmund anymore. He's back at King's MMA, so that's at least a positive. But, man, I just, at this point, Jake Ellenberger, I think he's pretty much just made a career off the fact that he beat Jake Shields. He's the only guy to knock out Jake Shields. And I think people still, for some reason, give him that much credit because of that win, and they still think he's the same sort of fighter. But I'm taking Tarek Safadine. It's going to be like the Nate Marquardt fight where, uh, where I think that Safadine is just going to use the leg kicks, beat him on the feet, and get a decision. Tarek's going to play it safe. I don't think he'll, I've heard some people say he might knock him out. Personally, I think with the fact that the layoff's been so long, Tarek just needs a win here, so he's going to play it safe, outpoint his opponent, and get the 30-27. So that's what I'm going with in this fight. Yeah, very solid pick, James. And I, I want your take on this. Okay, so you mentioned how he's training at King's MMA now, and mm -hmm. for a lot of guys, that's a really damn good thing because you got Master Rafael, you got Fabricio, you got Rafa Dos Anjos, you got all these amazing people, Benny Darius, to work with. But... We all know that Master Hoffa spars with his guys. And if you've watched the videos, I mean, he's sparring without a mouthpiece. He's dropping these guys, smiling at them, and then walking away. And if you heard my interview with Benny, I mean, Master Hoffa dropped Fabricio Ortum a couple times. Then he goes over to Benny, drops him. Then he goes to Babalu and drops him. So what I'm trying to get at here is maybe training at King's MMA is messing Jake up because for some guys, they have that mental fortitude where, yeah, oh, the Master dropped me. You know, Master Hoffa, much respect. But with Jake, it might be like, oh, fuck, like, I need to go back to hitting pads with Edmund, you know? So I, I, really, I really don't know what to expect here except uh, Tara kicking his leg really damn hard. Now, go Paula. Are we going to be saying yes, Jake, one last time, or is Tara going to get that long-needed win? Um, well, we're going to be saying yes, Jake, if we bet against Jake because we're going to be expecting Jake Ellenberger <laughs> to not do anything against Tarek Safadine. Um, you and James called it. I think uh, Tarek Safadine, I mean... He's a very, uh, I don't want to say call him a safe fighter, but he's, a, he's not exactly that gung-ho crazy fighter. He's a very technical fighter. I mean, even that fight, that fight against Hyun Gyulim, where Hyun Gyulim was basically hurting him um, and was much bigger than him and was catching him. I mean, he had so many opportunities to finish Hyun Gyulim there because I think Hyun Gyulim had, like, hamburger meat for a leg because he was just eating so many leg kicks. And Tarek Safadine could have totally just, like, I don't know, I guess kicked his leg until it fell off and the ref would have stopped the fight. But, I mean, he didn't. He even went to the ground with him, so... Um, but that was a five-round affair. This is only three rounds, and yeah, I think he's gonna jab and leg kick Ellenberger to thirty to a pretty clear-cut thirty twenty-seven. Now, what's interesting about Ellenberger is 
for the one interview he had against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, he kept saying he went, he kept going into all these crazy things about how like oh I need to separate the juggernaut from Jake Ellenberger. So he's trying to find that that form of himself that knocked out Nick Marquardt, that knocked out Jake Shields and stuff. And the fact that he's trying to do that makes me show that man that he's so far from that version of himself that he has to find it inside him again mentally. So. And like you said, who knows? Who knows what it is? Maybe training with Kings is gonna invigorate him. Maybe it's gonna mess him up entirely. But I think uh, Safadine's gonna get the job done here. His chin's a bit of a concern, but I mean, unless Ellenberger explodes and does what it did to Marquardt, I just don't see it. Yeah, both of you guys once again brought up great points. And Paul, you mentioned how Jake is, you know, second guessing himself, saying, "Man, I need to get back to the old juggernaut now." I'm going to bring up Matt Brown again. Could you ever imagine Matt Brown being like, oh, I need to get back to being the immortal? <laughs> like, that would never... <laughs> that would never. So maybe it's a mix of the mental thing and what Matt said about maybe he's just not that good. But Tarek needs to show up. And here's the thing, guys. Oftentimes when we agree on a foregone conclusion that, hey, he's just going to go out there and jab and leg kick him to a 30-27, <laughs> that's when crazy shit happens. So, you know, who knows? Maybe Tarek knocks him out. Maybe Tarek gets knocked <laughs> out. But I'm going to pick I'm gonna pick Tarek Safadine here. So we'll have to see what happens on fight night. Now, next up, here we go. We got the hype train. Minus 450 favorites. Sage Northgut is taking on Brian Barberena, who's a plus 360 dog. Now, is a really tough and durable dude. And it's interesting, you know, he was actually moving up to 170 prior to this fight. He was supposed to fight Jonathan Webb, who, man, I don't know if you guys recall his debut against Kyle Noak, but that kid is someone to look out for. But <coughs> as far as Barberena is concerned, he's a very tough guy. That fight with Lepre was really good. His fight with uh, Joe Ellenberger, when speaking of Ellenbergers, he took <laughs> care of him. And I, I got a lot of respect for Joe because, I mean, that guy's overcome serious adversity just to be inside the UFC's octagon. So... You know, I, I wasn't – I can't say I was thrilled to see Barberena do that to him, but at the same time, if you're signing that dotted line and you're walking inside the UFC's octagon, whatever happens, happens, right? So it is what it is. He had an impressive performance that night. Against Sage, man, I don't think it's going to go his way. I know I know Barberena's super confident because everyone thinks that, you know, it's just a hype train with Sage, and maybe it is just a hype train, but I do think the hype train will prevail this Saturday night in New Jersey. What do you think, James? Well, there's a couple ways we can look at this. I mean, obviously, the, the UFC has invested a lot of time and money in Sage Northcutt, and they certainly don't want him losing. But we have seen that backfire before with Rose Namajunas and Paige Van Zandt in, in a short-notice fight. So there is that to kind of take note of. But uh, I don't know. I've seen a lot of people on social media saying Sage Northcutt second-round TKO, this and that. You know, Barbarim is not that bad of a fighter, and I think part of the problem was, like you mentioned, him fighting at lightweight. He's back up at welterweight. I think that's more of a suitable division for him. Um I don't know if people forgot what happened in the first round against Cody Fister, but Sage didn't look that great. I mean, I think he won that fight overall because Fister gassed, and also Sage was just the bigger and more uh, stronger fighter, and I don't think he's going to have a lot of those advantages in this fight. Now, with that said... Sage, you know, we look at the record here, you know, seven wins, all finishes, um, you know, he's six foot, uh, seven, 74 inch reach advantage, uh, so he's got a two inch uh, reach advantage in this fight. Um, he's only fought at uh, welterweight, I believe, uh, once in his career. Uh, Northcutt actually fought at welterweight last year. A lot of people think that he's only fought at lightweight, uh, that's not true. Um, but Barbarina, you know, always a gamer. Uh, that fight against Chad Lepreze last year that he lost it was actually pretty close. Not that Chad Lepreze is a world beater by any means, but it showed me that Barbarina will always hang in there. I'm going to pick Sage Northcutt, but there's no way I'm betting this fight, and I also would not be surprised if Barbarina pulled off the upset because I really do think it's a much closer fight than the odds indicate. James, you brought up, once again, some very good points, and the fact that Cody Fister took down Sage Northcutt two exactly. seconds into that fight, I was like, dude, and I, you know, I had the under in that fight. I had the Sage inside the distance. I was sweating that. I'm not even going to sit here and lie. Not that I ever do. And, you know, it's funny. So in this fight with Barbarina, we're going to have to see if he's tough enough to deal with a next-gen athlete, but sometimes it's not about how good of an athlete you are. Sometimes it's uh, you know, about how tough you are, how much you want it. We're going to see who wants it more on Saturday night. Who do you think wants it more, Paula? Uh, man, that's tough to say because um, I want to say that Barbaretta's more motivated because you know I have he has this golden opportunity to basically destroy the high print and get his name out there. Be like, oh, look, guys, I'm the first guy to beat Sage Northcutt. And if he does it in humiliating fashion, like maybe he grinds him out, maybe, I don't know, he keeps keeps Sage on his back and basically just humiliates him there, saying, oh, yeah, this guy has nothing on the ground. He's like, 
he goes, Barbarina's going to do that, because the way Barbarina reminds me of is someone like Chris Lieben. This is the type of guy that likes to brawl, likes to go out there and be like, let's, let's throw down, bro, let's throw down. And is willing to eat, like, three to four shots to give one back. I mean, if he does that against Sage Northcutt, he's going to get knocked out. I mean, I don't care how tough Barbarina is. You can't absorb that many strikes, especially from a from a karate uh, striking phenom like Sage Northcutt, who looks like he's straight out of a comic book. Um yeah, if he stands in trace with Sage Northcutt, it's going to be a short night for him. I think um, maybe fans were going to say it's an early stoppage, but it's going to be one of those where he's taking so much shots. Um, but if he comes in there with a good game plan, with maybe uh, Benson Henderson and um, what's called uh, I keep forgetting uh, John Crouch, telling him uh, grind this guy out, um, frustrate him, you know, wall install him, do all the dirty dirty box and all that stuff, he could totally win because I don't think Sage is been put in that situation yet because he's been dusting everyone um, put in front of him. But, man, it's just hard to say what Brian Barberin is going to do, man. I don't trust his fight IQ at all, so I think Sage Northcutt's going to gonna finish him. In, let's say let's go with two rounds. Yeah, and it's interesting you bring up Chris Liebman because I was going to mention him earlier on the show. I totally forgot when I was talking about uh, that Michael Bisbing uh, pronunciation <laughs> because Chris Liebman, he's actually like, I'm going to knock out Michael Bisbee. So I'm like, I, li- I like how he says Bisbee. But uh, next up, we got Jimmy Rivera. Man, this kid is good. I think he's 18-1. and one. He's a minus-170 favorite. He's taking on Yuri Marajo Alcantara, who's plus-150. And when you talk about Jimmy Rivera, you talk about a winner. This guy knows how to win. Now, it's interesting because if you've only seen his UFC fights, you think this guy's a knockout artist. But if you go back and you look at what he's all about, he's only been knocking dudes out for his last, you know, four fights. You know, obviously with Pedro Munoz, he didn't knock him out, but he still showed off that powerful striking. But prior to that, this guy's been known for his grappling. You know, he's gotten in there against Willie Gates, gotten an inverted triangle. I mean, this dude can grapple his ass off. And if there's been one weakness to Yuri's game... It's that he can get grinded. Now, here's the thing with Yuri. You cannot sleep on Yuri Alcantara because on the ground, if you give this guy an opening, he will sweep you. He will submit you. But if you play it smart and you neutralize him like Frankie Sines did, like some of the other guys have been able to do, like Uriah did in the second and third round, then you can beat him. Here's the thing, though. Has Jimmy fallen in love with his knockout power? Does he think he's going to go out there and go toe-to-toe with Yuri Alcantara? Hey, maybe he gets the better of the exchanges, but... When you go toe-to-toe with Yuri Alcantara, there's a chance you're going down, man. So, And Yuri also has, I think, a five- or six-inch reach advantage. Now, here's the thing. I bet on Jimmy Rivera on both of his UFC fights. He was the underdog in both of them, but now he's the dreaded minus 170. That's a line that I never play anymore. And, you know, one of my best friends, he's one of the best gamblers on planet Earth. You know, he was, like, top ten in the World Series of Poker. You know, he's one of these those kind of badasses. And he, always, he told me one of the best pieces of advice he ever gave me was, do not bet the minus 170 lines. You will get uh, screwed over, to put it lightly. You know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> I think that could happen here. But I, I am going to pick Jimmy. I just can't bet minus 170. That line, it, it's not the line I, I, I mess with. So, you know, for all my friends that are sharp, that are picking Yuri, good luck to you. But go go back to half the battle and check out Jimmy because this guy's got a mentality on him. He's such a winner. And he's a really good guy. He's a hard worker. He's good everywhere. He comes to fight, so this whoever emerges victorious from this fight, they're going to take things to that next level. They're going to get a top five opponent next. What do you think, James? Yeah, I completely agree, and you mentioned the Frankie Signs fight. That's one of the reasons why I am picking Jimmy Rivera in this fight, because Alcantara, there's fights that he should win, he should show up for, and he doesn't come through. And by the way, I've mentioned this in other shows, but I'll mention it again, always always like bringing this up. Frankie Signs was the biggest underdog win last year, even bigger uh, underdog than Holly Holm, and he ended up winning that fight. So i got to point that out. But, you know, aside from that, Alcantara's other losses, Uriah Faber, not a big deal. Herklin Diaz, also a really good fighter. So you got to put some stock in that, because Alcantara is actually 4-1 and one in his last five fights. He's got 13 knockouts, 12 submissions, but he's 35 years old, guys. You're only gonna get, you know, go down from from there unless you're, you know, Dan Henderson. So, um, you know, you gotta take, you gotta take the younger guy in this fight. Uh, Rivera, 26 years old, four knockouts, two submissions. Uh, Alcantara has only been knocked out once in his career. So, and that was actually an injury. So, uh, you know, you can't even really count that. But at some point, Alcantara is gonna start to fade. The wear and tear is gonna take its toll. I don't know if it's this fight. And again, I completely agree with you, Dan. I do not think it's worth betting this fight. I think it's that close of a matchup. But i got to go with the younger guy, Jimmy Rivera. I think he gets it done by decision. And one other thing, Jimmy Rivera has not lost since 2008. That's no slouch either. 
Yeah, man. I mean, one doesn't simply go 18-1 and one in pro MMA. And obviously with Yuri Alcantara, you know, he was training at Greg Jackson's, but now he's back in Brazil. And here's one thing. This is really interesting. So after a fighter comes on half the battle, their next fight doesn't go the distance. I'm five for five with this so far. So Louis Smolka, Kevin Lee, Anthony Burchak, Mike Biggie Rhodes, and Chas Kelly. All their fights after they came on half the battle didn't go the distance. So... Maybe uh, Carlos Diego and Olivia Oppen Mercier and Jimmy Rivera versus Yuri. Maybe those fights don't go the distance. If the doesn't go the distance prop is plus money, definitely take a stab on that. Now, Paulo, Jimmy Rivera or Yuri Marajo Alcantara? Oh, I'm going to go with Jimmy Rivera here. I mean, I really want to pick Alcantara because um, I wouldn't really say I'm a fan of him, but you know, I, I, I like how he fights, man. This guy's a very exciting fighter when he's on, but that's the key phrase there, when he's on. Sometimes... I mean, maybe sometimes he gets too fancy in his strikes because he likes to throw a lot of weird uh, combinations sometimes, some, some spinning shit, as Nick Diaz likes to say. Some, so, so once in a while, attempts a cartwheel kick and stuff. Um, I mean, if he tries that against Jimmy Rever, he's going to get taken down and, he, and he's going to get Frankie Science all over again. Um, and that's the reason why I'm giving it to Jimmy Rivera here. I mean, I think he's a smart fighter. I mean, he's an exciting fighter. I mean, he, he, he was like in a... In a fight of the, fight of the night with uh, Pedro Munoz, I'm not sure if I actually won fight of the night, but that that, that could have been a fight of the night because those two just went back at it. Um, but no, he's gonna recognize the reach disadvantage he has against um, Marajo, uh, Marajo, and if he can't close the distance, he he runs the risk of getting knocked out because Marajo has that one punch knockout power like we sh we saw him do against uh, Von Lee and Ricardo Lamas. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it might be too dangerous to stand with Marajo, so he could do what Frankie Science did and just neutralize him on the ground. Although Marajo is very dangerous on the ground too, like you said, he could sweep him, he could maybe snatch one of his arms and put a triangle choke on him, maybe uh, take one of his arms. Um, but no, man, uh, I have to go with Jimmy Rivera here. I think he's just a better fighter, better overall fighter, better stage in his life, and he's more motivated. He's fighting in his backyard. No way he's going to let uh, Alcantara come in there and embarrass him in front of his friends. Yeah, and Paul, you mentioned how Yuri knocked out Ricardo Lamas back in the WC. <laughs> Ricardo Lamas, refresh my memory, that's the guy that said he was going to end Jose Aldo's reign, and then when he got the chance to fight him, he ran away for five rounds, right? That's what you're talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, Yuri's got some serious knockout power. I think you hit the nail on the head, as usual, my friend. Now, next up, the co-main event of the evening. Josh Barnett, minus 135, versus Ben Rothwell, plus 115. And, man, you know, Ben Rothwell, how can you not love this guy? I mean, just lately, he's really been in touch with the fans, and, you know, he, he's really showing his personality, and his fighting skills have gotten better, man. I mean, he's knocking out guys like Alistair Overeem. He's choking out Matt Mitrione. I mean, and it's not just the fact that he choked out Matt Mitrione. It's how he choked out. Matt Mitchell. I mean, have we ever seen a go-go choke in the history of the UFC? Just real quick, have we? Anyone? In the UFC, yeah. I'm not sure. I don't think so. Um, Paula? I don't think so. Maybe in the really early days, but I don't know. I don't think so. So We've never seen a go-go choke in the history of the UFC until Big Ben Rothwell pulled that on Matt Mitrion. And it's interesting because... Off the top of my head, I thought it was one of those situations where Mitrione was getting the better of the exchanges, and then he shot for a dumb takedown and got caught. But if you go back and watch that, Ben actually rocked him with a big knee, with a big overhand right, and that's why Mitrione shot for the takedown. It wasn't like Mitrione likes to say that, oh, I just randomly shot for the first takedown of my career. It didn't really go down like that, man. He got rocked first and then shot. Now, as far as Barnett's concerned, we all know of him as this catch-wrestling expert, but interestingly enough, in his last fight, he got taken out three times by Roy Nelson, and another interesting thing about that fight is we said, you know, Barnett's going to have the edge on the ground, and Roy's going to have the edge on the feet, and what ended up happening was the complete opposite. Barnett ends up outstriking Roy Nelson, similar to the way other people have in the past to that decision, but man, we saw some grappling holes in his game. Now, I'm not saying Ben Rothwell is going to go out that and go out there and expose that, but what I do think is that somewhere along the way, he can catch Josh Barnett and get the stoppage. So I'm going to go with Big Ben Rothwell, but the line is a little bit too low for my liking to really take that shot and feel like I'm, you know, taking a shot on a dog. I mean, he's plus 115, so it's not like you know you're really risking that much. But I do think he's going to win this fight. What, what do you think about that, James? 
Yeah, I agree with you. Actually, a lot of what you said is pretty much how I'm feeling as well, too. Uh, you know, I, I heard someone compare uh, Roy Nelson to being like Ben Rothwell. I disagree. I think Ben Rothwell is a lot better than Roy Nelson at this point in his career. Um, you know, this is a tough fight to call, but, I mean, just look at the, the, the numbers here, guys. Barnett is 38 years old. He is getting to that stage where he's going to start to break down. Uh, he's 2-1 and one since returning to the UFC. He's only fought once since 2014. Uh, Rothwell, you know, he's 5-3 and three in the UFC. Uh, he's got those impressive wins over Overeem, uh, Schaub, you know, Brandon Vera. Um, and, and if you get a chance, by the way, go read that story, that long form that Jeremy Botter did today on Bleacher Report. Excellent stuff. Kind of gives a little bit of insight into what Rothwell has been going through in his life. I think Rothwell wants it more. He's pissed off. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He was supposed to fight Stipe. Stipe ends up getting Arlovsky. Now Rothwell has to fight Barnett. I think Rothwell really wants that title shot. Um, I think he's going to go out there and get the knockout. Now on paper, you guys, you know, we have to mention the fact that obviously, uh, you know, the wrestling's edge goes to Barnett. Obviously the grappling goes to Barnett. The, the ground game, all that stuff. But I don't think it matters. I think Ben is going to catch and surprise like he always does. I've been really bad at picking Ben Rothwell's fights, but I'm not going to do it again this time. I'm picking Ben Rothwell in this fight by knockout. Yeah, and James, you brought up the Jeremy Botter article, and I didn't get a chance to check it out, but I did check out the Road to the Octagon, that you know that special the UFC put out, and man, Ben Rothwell's overcome some serious adversity in his life, and it's hard not to root for him, but I always talk about how you can't get emotionally invested in these picks. You know, for example, Cowboy Cerrone, they showed on the countdown, you know, before he fought RDA that his grandmother, you know, is about to pass away, and it's very sad. You feel for the guy. I mean, she, she you know, they have a very close relationship, but you can't let that influence how you pick a fight, but... This is a different fight entirely, and I do think Ben Rothwell is going to get the victory here, regardless of you know being emotionally influenced or not. What do you think, Paula? Well, as you know, I picked Ben Rothwell against Matt Mitrioni before the battle against you and Nick, and even though I said that, no, nah, logic thinks that Matt Mitrioni is going to outstrike Ben Rothwell, but Ben Rothwell, this guy just does something weird in his fights, and for some mystical reason, he just wins. Now, the thing about Rothwell is, and why that happens, is because, one... He's super tough. He's one of the toughest fighters out there. He's probably Roy Nelson tough, if not tougher. Two, he's got huge power in his hands. And, I mean, a lot of people like to overlook him because he's weird. I mean, he has so many unorthodox movements, and he always does something, whether he's fighting or whether he's interviewing, that people just go, what the heck is he doing? This guy's a total weirdo. And that's probably why they underestimate him. But, I mean, this guy's a born winner, like you said. Um, I also did an article on him, on him before, like how he overcame, I think uh, he had a spinal disease, how he was supposed to die, and all that stuff. Uh, he, he got bullied as a kid because he was weird, and then, you know, he's, he's used to, like, and he's always an underdog, so he, he's used to, like, people always looking down on him, making fun of him and stuff, so in my opinion, that makes him a really strong mental fighter, and no matter what Barnett's going to do to him, he's not going to quit, and eventually he's going to catch Barnett, man, he's going to test that chin, and then Barnett's going to go down. I agree, my friend, and it's interesting. We have a consensus underdog pick, even though it is a very slight underdog. Now, next up, the main event of UFC Newark. We got Anthony Rumble Johnson. He's minus 325 with a comeback on Ryan Darth Bader at plus 265. And I mean, for a lot of people, it's a foregone conclusion that Rumble's going to knock him out in the first round, and he very well could. But what if Bader survives the first round? Now, I put a lot of money on Rumble to beat Cormier, and we saw how that went. You know, he drops him in the first round, but after uh, Cormier got back up, you know, Rumble was like, oh, shit. You know what I mean? So what, what if Vader gets back up? Now, I know the Machida knockout's going to get brought up, but that's a little bit of a different kind of knockout because that was more of like a Jose versus Connor knockout where one guy ran at the other guy's fist and went down, and I don't think Vader's going to run at Rumble Johnson, because Rumble's the kind of guy that walks you down, and he tries to throw the big strikes at you, whereas Machida likes to sit on the outside, bounce around, and once you get really frustrated, and you're like, I gotta get this guy, that's when he capitalizes. Rumble's the complete opposite. Rumble's, you know, he's this big fucking monster, you know what I'm saying? But with that comes the fact that he can gas out if it goes to the later rounds. Now, you watch that fight with uh, Andre Arlovsky versus Rumble Johnson. First round, Rumble Johnson gets a 10-8. You know, he breaks his jaw. He's beating his ass. But then the second round, it's a completely different guy. I mean, he's shooting for sloppy takedowns. He's just completely gassed. His corner's pleading with him, please don't quit, Anthony. And, you know, he, he happened to get that decision. And that happened again when he fought DC. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, I thought we were past this, bro. I thought you matured at this new weight class. And, you know, he showed he wasn't ready yet. But when he bounced back against Jimmy Manoa, I did notice a difference in his grappling. Now, I know that's against, you know, Jimmy, but still, 
still, the fact that he took him down, you know, he passed that guard. It almost looked like he attempted a submission there. Like I, I was impressed with the work that Neil Melanson's been doing with Anthony Rumble Johnson. Now, Power MMA, they haven't gotten the best results as of yet, but Bader seems to be their, their hardest worker, in my opinion, at least. I mean, I know Miles Jury was getting a little cocky there, but uh, you know, I, I do think Ryan Bader, he could win this, man. It's just about not getting knocked out in the first five to seven minutes of the fight. Now, Interestingly enough, I brought this up at the very beginning of the show. What if Ryan Bader flips the script, kind of like Frankie did against Chad? You know, no one expected Frankie to beat Chad in the first round. You know, I was saying, all right, Frankie's going to win, but we got to avoid that first round. As long as we get past that first round, we're going to win this fight. And then he goes out there and knocks out Chad in the first round. So, I mean, what if uh, Ryan knocks out um, Rumble in the first round? I mean, obviously it sounds crazy, those words coming out of my mouth, but, dude, if that happens, holy fucking shit, right? But... Man, I mean, what's going to happen here? Is he going to get past the first round or not, James? That's that's the big question here. I mean, there isn't much to say about this fight that you haven't already said. I mean, you've got the blueprint kind of laid out there. I mean, Anthony Johnson, if he hits you, 9 out of 10 light heavyweights are going to go down. DC went down, but he was able to get up and recover, and, uh, you know, he was able to compose himself. Is Ryan Bader going to be able to do that? I'm not so sure. Um you know, a couple things, like, you know, obviously, Johnson, all it takes is one shot. Now, Bader, if he's able to avoid that, gets the fight going a little bit later, you know, he definitely has a shot. He's got the wrestling as well, too. If, if Johnson gets tired, <clears throat> Bader can probably get those takedowns and, and grind his way out. The other thing is Bader's uh, good at submissions, so he could go in there and, and get a submission as well, too. But honestly, guys, I think, you know, there's only a few people in that division who can take a punch and survive, and that's Cormier and Jones. I think Ryan Bader does get knocked out in the first round in this fight. But if you're looking at a bet here, because I do really think there is a possibility that Bader could get out of the first and take control of the fight, I say you hedge it and you go with Bader at the current price right now, plus 265, and you hedge that with either Johnson by knockout or you know something else. You parlay Johnson uh, inside the distance with someone else on the card. But I definitely see either Johnson finish or Bader winning uh, because, you know, it's just it's one of those crazy fights. And one thing I'll mention, too, about him doing the impossible, like you mentioned there, uh, Dan, uh, Ryan Bader's last knockout win was Jason Brilts way back in 2011. Now, it is possible because he does have knockout power, but Bader tends to go to a decision in a lot of his fights, and I would know because I picked him in a lot of those fights. I picked him against uh, Rashad. He was, you know, able to get the job done. So, unfortunately, i got to take my, uh, my twin, Ryan Bader, uh, off, uh, and I'm going to pick Anthony Johnson in this one. Yeah, man, and anyone that's followed the show, you know I'm not an advocate of hedging, but if there's ever a fight that you should hedge, this is it, man. I mean, James hit the nail on the head because, like like we've been saying, you know, the blueprint is laid out. You know, either Rumble's going to knock this dude out in the first round or Bader's going to survive. He's going to drag him into the deep waters, and he's potentially going to make him look for the door. What do you think, Paulo? Man, no, yeah, you're right, man. I mean, Corby's chin is another level. I mean... Jones, as we know, probably the toughest guy in the division. And like you said, those are like the only two guys who could take a shot from Rumble and probably go on. I mean, actually, no, Phil Davis actually survived Rumble, but that's because <laughs> he yeah. ran away from Rumble. I mean, he, I think he ate a couple of shots, and he's like, I don't want any more of this, and he just kept basically circling away and not even trying to do anything. Um, who knows? Maybe that's what happens here. Maybe maybe who knows? Um, nobody's considering the fact that maybe Rumble could win by decision here. What, what, what would happen, let's say, um, and I'm picking Rumble, by the way, um, what would happen, let's say, like, I don't know, he, he he hit Bader, Bader went down, but he wasn't able to finish Bader, no, he let Bader get back up, and Bader just didn't do anything for the rest of the fight. Basically just tried to survive and just, like, circled away, and then Rumble wins, like, 29, 28, or something weird like that. I mean, these are, like, those crazy things that nobody's expecting is going to happen, because what's the line on Rumble winning? By plus 645, plus 645. So, yeah, if you, I mean, Paolo, if you, if you feel that way, man, I'd, I'd lay some juice there, because that's a pretty good price. Yeah, but no. I, but the thing about Bader is, I mean, he did get knocked out against Machida. He got knocked out against uh, against Teixeira. But I mean, those are those are more of the knockouts that you didn't see coming. I mean, he got caught against Teixeira because I think he hurt Teixeira and then he got aggressive and Teixeira caught him and he went down. I mean, with Rumble, that's what he's looking out for, man. He's looking for the big punch. So, who knows? Um, but no, I think Rumble gets it done, man. I think he knocks him out in the second round or something, but there's also a good chance that Bader actually knocks him down because I mentioned this stat before, which was incorrect when I tweeted it because Shogun overtook him, but there was a point where he led the light heavyweight division in knockdowns, which is a shocking stat to me because I'm like, Ryan Bader, really? Ryan Bader led the, led the division in knockdowns until Shogun Hua knocked Hendo around like four times or something in their fight, and then he took the lead. But no, he, he does have some power in his hands, so I could definitely see Bader rocking up um, rumble at some point. Yeah, and quick, 
And quick shout out to my boy Flying Brian because you know when I tweeted out, "What if uh, Bader flips the script and knocks him out in the first round?" He responds, "What if Rumble flips the script and grinds out Bader for five rounds?" <laughs> I was like, "Damn, I like the way you think, bro." Uh, <laughs> all right, so we gotta do the fight to watch and the fighter to watch for UFC on Fox 18. So James, I'm gonna go with you first, man. What is the fight to watch for UFC New Jersey? Uh, that, that's an easy one for me. It's one that no one's talking about, but we definitely talked about here. For me, it's Dustin Ortiz and Wilson Hayes. I think that is probably the most underrated fight on this card, and I think it's going to be excellent because both guys really want to get to that next level in that division. I'm going with Dustin Ortiz and Wilson Hayes. That's a, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be tuning in for that one. I'll tell you that much. What about you, Paul? What's the fight to watch? Fight to watch for me would be... Uh... Jimmy Rivera and Yuri Alcantara, just because, you know, and another thing, like, I actually forgot to mention when we were breaking down that fight, I'm really happy that when the UFC did the, the Road to the Octon that they didn't do it on stage Northcutt, and they actually did it on these two guys, so props to the UFC for doing that, because I think they're both really talented, I mean, they should have done this for Alcantara a long time ago, but, you know, better late than never, that they're finally showcasing these two really good bantamweight fighters, I think they're going to put on a show no matter what direction it takes, if, if Rivera tries to grind them out, or if they stay standing, and fighter to watch, Big Ben Rothwell, I'm never going to stop promoting this guy, I really love him, I think he's a really genuine good guy, the stuff he's been through, like, and he's a really good fighter, so Big Ben Rothwell's my fighter to watch. Yeah, and I agree with everything you said, but in the UFC's defense, they did give Yuri Alcantara, you know, a spotlight when he fought Faber, and man, he almost came through that fight, but, you know, he eventually gassed out and got grinded out the subsequent rounds. Now, my fight to watch, you know, I was initially going to go with Yuri versus Jimmy. Paulo kind of stole that one from me, so, uh, you know, I'm looking at the card right now, and you know what? I'm going to go with Tarek versus Jake, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> With Jake, I mean, it's it's like what we were saying earlier. We just don't know what to expect from this guy. And with Tarek, it's like you should win this fight. You better win this fight. But are you going to win this fight? So whenever there's those kind of questions heading into a matchup, it's got to be the fight to watch. And next up, the fighter to watch. I know, Paula, you mentioned Big Ben Rothwell. He's absolutely one of the fighters to watch for this card. Who's your fighter to watch, James? Yeah, sorry, I forgot to do that. I wasn't going in order here. Uh, my fighter to watch is going to actually be Anthony Johnson, and I'll explain why here, because, there, th like I said, this fight's going to end one of two ways. Johnson's going to get the spectacular knockout. He's going to be next in line when Jones beats Daniel Cormier. Yeah, I said it. Uh, and that's <laughs> going to be a great fight. However, Rumble Johnson loses here. Let's say he loses brutally. He gets submitted or something like that. What is he? Where does he go from here? That's going to be a failed title shot. That's going to be an, another setback here in, in that division. I know light heavyweight isn't exactly the deepest division outside some of the top contenders, but could we potentially see the last fight for Anthony Johnson at light heavyweight and maybe a move to heavyweight after this fight if he does lose again here? I mean, it's another setback for him. We'll, we'll see what happens. Wow, I never, I never thought about that. That's very interesting, and it's a, it's a possibility for sure. Now... My fighter to watch is Carlos Diego Ferreira. I mean, I got to see how this guy bounces back from two top ten losses. Like we mentioned, I mean, he's only lost to Benny and Dustin. I mean, those are two absolute monsters at 155 pounds. And, you know, if, if anyone's throwing him a bone, it's the UFC. Now, I'm not saying Olivier Aubin Mercier is some pushover because he's absolutely not. He's a very good fighter. He's very athletic. But, I mean, we can all agree it's a step down from Dustin and Benny. And in the UFC... We got to know if you can hang or not. So I want to know on this very special edition of Half the Battle. And, man, you know, you guys are welcome back anytime you want. Just let me know. And just go ahead, plug whatever you got coming up. And, you know, anything else you want to let the fans know, now is the time, James. Well, uh, first off, always enjoy being on this show. I'd love to come back anytime and vice versa. i got to get you back on the Parting Shot podcast. Your audience can find me on Twitter, at Lynch on Sports. Your audience can also watch all my interviews, youtube.com slash Lynch on Sports. You can always check out my writing up on MMAOddsBreaker.com and Sportsnet.ca. And again, I really appreciate it. And it was so cool to be on with my fellow Sportsnet and Canadian brother, Paolo. So uh, much appreciated, man. Of course, man. We'll definitely have you back. And for the fans watching, you definitely got to subscribe to Jim's YouTube channel. I mean, he's consistently pumping out all these interviews with guys that not everyone else is interviewing, and you're learning about the upcoming prospects. Now, for me, when I first got into this sport, I didn't know anyone's name. I just watched because I like to watch fights. So when you go and you watch James' interviews, these are the stars of tomorrow. These are the guys that you might not know about now, but you will know about soon. But at the same token, he's also interviewing champs like TJ Dillashaw. So you definitely got to go subscribe to his channel right now. Now, Paula. Take it away, my man. The floor is yours. Yeah, like James mentioned, you know, it's always great doing shows with you guys. 
James, obviously one of the guys I look up to. And uh, one of I subscribe to his channel because when I'm doing research about all and the, all these guys, especially a lot of these guys get drafted to the UFC. I'm gonna go to James' channel and be like, okay, uh, who's Ra uh, Randy Brown, Tony Martin, and so on and so forth. And he does give pretty good in-depth interviews with them. Um, Andre Harrison from Titan FC. Um, just to name a few. Um, you can find my writing at sportsnet.ca, at today's knockout, dot, uh, at today's knockout or today's and recently started a podcast, the MMA Side Dish Podcast. And what we're trying to do with that podcast is, I mean, I mean, we we got all the fight breakdowns and all that stuff, but we're just trying to like you know focus on a lot of the things going on outside of fighting, uh, outside of fighting game. We had Amy Derdashian the other day talking about the legal case um, with Nick Diaz, Vanderlei, the New York. Uh, what's going to happen to MMA in New York. So, yeah, come check that out. And thanks again for having me on, uh, Daniel. Of course, man. It's my pleasure. And fans, definitely subscribe to the MMA Side Dish. It's one of the best up-and-coming podcasts in the game. Now, for all the first-time viewers of Half the Battle and all the long-time viewers of Half the Battle, I sincerely appreciate all your support. I really do. And for everyone tuning in for the first time, if you've never seen Half the Battle, obviously today we did a fight breakdown where we broke down the entire card, but I also sit down with the most exciting fighters in the UFC, and I go in-depth like no one else. And, I mean, basically what, I want, what I'm trying to do here is I want you to get to know the fighters. I want you to feel like you're listening to – I don't want to say a Joe Rogan podcast, but what I want to say is that I want you to feel like after you heard my interview – that you got to know this guy. Now, you know, I have some guests staying over at the house, and, you know, I showed one of them my Benny interview, and afterwards, you know, this is a guy that's never watched the UFC in his life. Afterwards, he's like, wow, I feel like I kind of know Benny a little bit. So that's what I'm trying to do with Half the Battle. And like I said, only exciting fighters on my show. I don't get guys that push people up against the fence and make the crowd boo. I only have exciting fighters. So you can check out the latest one with Darren Till. Got Matt Brown coming out, speaking with Paul Felder tomorrow. And, man, I just love this sport so much, and I just want to keep giving you guys amazing content. That's my goal. If you have any feedback for me, feel free to let me know at Best Fight Picks on Twitter. I'm always down to talk with all you guys. So, once again, thank you so much. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube, and have a great day, guys.